Hello and welcome to England Unmasked, the podcast dedicated exclusively to England that will help you through the Euros, which the three Lions will hope to win on July the 11th under the Wembley Arch. I'm Dom Smith. And I'm Luke Edwards. Well, a lovely bit of sweet Caroline there. And it's incredible, really. I'm still saying the same introduction that I've been saying for a good few weeks now. And it's, it's still true. England can still win. I was just thinking that. Yeah, 11th of July is on the way and England are in it. God. How does that and sound? England, see, I've never seen England in a Europe in a final in my lifetime. So, no. There are people much older than us who haven't as well. I tell you that. So, um, yeah, Italy are going to be a tough test, but to, to come through that Denmark game is, is so emotional and so, so incredible. I can't, I must admit, I've actually done a little bit of crying over the last 12 hours or so. Not, not, not like full floods of tears. I wasn't, wasn't crying my eyes out, but I was writing my match report and uh, I couldn't help, but you know, you're not, you're not supposed to write with music on. I couldn't help but play Bittersweet Symphony and it's uh, and uh, Three Lions and, yeah, when I was when I was getting the picking the photos I wanted on my match report, I just had a little had a little tear up, you know, bit bit embarrassing. But um, listen, this is what England and the England boys do to you, and especially to help Jack- me get to sleep. To help me get to sleep, I stuck on Atomic Kitten last night, the new version. Yeah, so. it's an interesting shout, but um, I think they've done a good job with it. I like it. Yeah, it's good, and uh, obviously all the traditional. I I wonder if Bill and Skinner will re-release their single if England win it mm. I know it'll get played a lot anyway but will they do a brand new version yeah that would be great wouldn't it oh dear it, it, it feels so surreal doesn't it we have, we're going to have to get on to uh, actual punditry where we actually make some decent points in a minute but it, it's still sinking in and we're we're speaking the morning after the game and there's been a, quite a few hours have gone by since England booked their place in the final but I can't think about anything else no, did you think when it was one one in extra, or when it went to extra time? You think I've seen this film before? Yeah, I did. I I, I literally turned to my um, yeah, I, I turned to the person I was watching it with, or I, I was in a big group actually. I turned to my mum and my dad, and I just said to them, you know, I know how this narrative ends. It, it ends with um, it ends with dominating extra time and losing on penalties. We've seen it before, but um. No, Harry Kane stuck away an excellent penalty after 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 Raheem Sterling was scythed down brutally, and uh, England storm into the final. <laughs> no, it was. Um, do you know what Denmark played really well, but they just ran out of steam, and you could tell after an hour they'd run out of steam with the substitutions they'd made and any extra time that the players that had started the game were absolutely dead on the feet and. What was impressive was, I heard Steve McLaren say this morning, was how England were so much fresher in, like, it's like they'd start in extra time. It was like they'd just started the game. And yeah, that's their biggest strength, isn't it? And, and you mentioned about Italy. They started off the, the tournament really strong. And as the games have gone on, they've got weaker and weaker as, as the games have gone on. So, yeah, if England can hang in the game for the first hour and they're in the game, you'd like to think they'll be more physical and, and that fitness will come to the fore. But... I think this was also important last night because Denmark was technically very good, dangerous on the break, but they just ran out of steam and allowed England to control the game. And 
I mean, Kasper Schmeichel was man of the match, wasn't he? Not officially, but yeah, he was the best player on the pitch. I agree. Yeah, I think I think Italy are the only team in this tournament who have really used their substitutions and shown that they've got as you know as decent a squad depth alongside England. Um, you know, I think every player bar one has been on the pitch for Italy, but bar their third choice goalie. And I think Mancini's made a, a big point of, of doing that after his own experience at Italia ninety, um, when he never got on the pitch despite being promised a lot of game time. But yeah, um, with England, I just you know we're going to hear from Ollie Holt later, who um, who I spoke with. Uh, he's chief football writer at the Mail on Sunday, brilliant writer, and he um, he was saying that he thinks Denmark are. Uh, you know, you know, I've had a great, great journey, which they have. And that ultimately, at the end of the game, they just sort of ran out of steam, he said, emotionally and physically. And I think that's fair, actually. Mm. I think in the end, England took the game, you know, grabbed the ball by the by its horns. And, and they were in the ascendancy pretty much, I'd say, England from from the moment Grealish came on, actually, I'd say. I'd say I wouldn't say it's because of Grealish, but it was around that because I don't think he had quite the effect he'd have liked. But it, you know, from when he came on, 70 minutes throughout the the rest of the game, stoppage time, and then all of extra time. I think England were, were the dominant team, really. Yeah, it was England started off well, didn't they? Then Denmark had a period, and it was fairly even game, like you say. Then he brought Grealish on. And what I noticed tactically was Kane stops dropping deep when Grealish comes on because Grealish does that job and drops deep and gets it, which allows Kane to yeah. sort of go and almost be part of the three then, which which makes England a lot more dangerous. Let's talk about Harry Kane a bit because he won the man of the match clearly for his winning goal. But <laughs> I actually thought that he had a good game. I thought his yeah. hold-up play was excellent. I think his his ability to win win free kicks when England looked under win the posh was... Free, yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> in inverted commas. By the way, you can't see this. I did it in inverted commas. But no, he was fouled a few times, but it was somewhere he was really clever, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, and, and actually, it reminded me a lot of the game which England won on penalties against Colombia at the World Cup, which actually, at moments, England were really um, in trouble in that game at, at moments. They, they, they weren't defensively solid in that match at all in Russia. And um, Harry Kane sort of picking up the ball from a Lingard pass or an Alley pass or a Trippier pass and just sort of, you know, slowing down as the defender moved in and hitting the deck. It's exactly what Grealish does, but in a slightly different and slower way, because Harry Kane, of course, is slower. I've, I've seen him described as, you know, in, in the group stage, one football writer mentioned that um, England might get better change out of a, a deck chair and a sun hat, but... Yeah, I think... Uh, Do you want to name that writer? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to name them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, England came through that game because they had the legs. I don't think it was because they were the savvier team. Although what I would say, and Southgate said this in his press conference, is it, he said it took, in, in second half of extra time, it took his players five minutes or so to realise that the best way to wind down a game is to keep the ball and to pass it between themselves well. And he said, I don't mind that it took them that long because no England team has ever been in this position since 1966. But once they did, I was proud of them for passing around. And there was a moment just before we reached the very final minute of extra time where England... Three minutes, three and a half minutes it was. when It they was, put yeah. The yeah, you know exactly what I'm on about. Yeah, they were passing it around for three and a half minutes and it was just so comfortable. And they could have scored... They could have gone for a number of attacks. I think Sterling was the only player who got on the ball much in that in that moment, who was actually trying to make things happen 
alongside Henderson, the substitute, the, the rest of them, Kane and, uh, well, Foden couldn't get into the game. He was asking for the ball. He was begging for it. But yeah, Kane and uh, Trippier, I think, and, and Walker were just trying to wind the clock down and they, they did it brilliantly. You know, you say what you want about football being thrilling or not, but you've got to get over the line. And, and for the first time in 55 years, England have done it and they're in a major tournament final. And it's a feeling which... I wish I could bottle because you never know when these moments are going to come again. Indeed, if they'll come again. Do you were, were you a bit when they were going for the corner? Were you a bit frustrated because I I thought like say Denmark were dead, they were buried, they were on the feet, and two or three passes could have cut through and, and finished the game off. And it was only Sterling who did that. And yeah. it would have been nice to just come to put the game to bed. It was the same when he brought Grealish off. He thought Denmark are they're dead on the feet. They're not coming back into this, but. Bringing Chippier on, I thought, allowed Denmark just that little sort of encouragement, although England were comfortable. And, and could it have been more comfortable than, than really ended up being? I think so. Uh, and I don't think England... And that's not a massive criticism of Southgate. Like, say, the in the end, the, well, it was a slight criticism. Because, but in the end, I mean, you could and he said, why did it after? Because Denmark just took four, four um, forwards on and really go for it. But... Um, I don't know, there was that many gaps there, you just thought someone like really should just pick that lock and you finish it off 3-1, it's game over, you don't need to worry about that. Well, Grealish, of course, by that time had gone off because he'd been substituted for the to go back to 3-4-3, but, but Foden and Sterling certainly could have um, could have killed off the game and, and Sterling, uh, I think he's one of those players who's sort of beyond, I'm not going to say he's beyond coaching because, you know, even Messi and Ronaldo, you can coach in a certain formation, but but you, you're not going to stop Raheem Sterling running and trying to get himself a goal, you know, where, even when what, what's called for is the game to be to be sort of held on to and, and, and drawn out and, and, and won. It, it, some players are just going to do what they're going to do. And Sterling was desperate to get his goal on, on what I think was one of his best performances of the entire tournament. I thought it was fantastic. Fantastic. Gary, Gary Lineker said it was the best performance he'd ever seen in an England shirt from a player. I don't think that's quite true, but I think I think he was fantastic. And I think the courage of that man to take the ball into spaces that I didn't even know were there, to drop his shoulder, to speed up, to to jink, you know, jink in between defenders, his his ability to his ability to hold off challenges, his strength is incredible, but also he's his you know, he he's he's naught to sixty faster than a Mercedes. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Shall we get the elephant in the room out of the way, the penalty? Yeah, OK, let's do that. I mean, let, let me ask you for your thoughts. What, what do you think about it? Do you know what? I don't think everyone was saying it was a dive. I don't think it was a dive, but I don't think it was a penalty either. Although you do see, although Mayle is slightly eclipsing, you do see Jensen come in from the other side and he does barge him slightly. And at that pace, you will knock him over. So they said that the headline on the Metro says they think it's fall over. It's now it's now for Denmark. Sterling the dive earns England a penalty. Blimey, that's a bit. Uh, yeah, what what I'd say on it is it's one of those which you have to follow the rules of VAR. You know, he goes down. I agree, it's not a dive, and I agree, it's a soft penalty. Is it a clear penalty? No, but if the referee gives it, is it a clear and obvious error that the that VAR can no. therefore turn turn it over? No, no, it isn't. So. You know, Casper Hulmund can be very upset with how his side have gone out. And a lot of the Danish media and ex-Denmark players are absolutely gutted. And I um, and I completely understand it. But by the letter of the law, if the penalty is given, 
Mm. And I wouldn't be up in arms if it hadn't been. Well, I would have been. But, I, you know, you can't be up in arms if that's not given. But if it, but if it hadn't been given, it wouldn't have been overturned into a penalty, would it either? No, it wouldn't. But given that it's it, it was given, you know, you've got to stick with it. Horrific penalty. The most tired spot kick I've ever seen from Harry Kane. But, you know, that extra silver that they've sort of sprayed on each of the balls, that gave it the sheen to to, to escape from Schmeichel's grasp. and. Bang, he thundered it in for 2-1. What a goal, an absolute worldie. Yeah, uh, talking of worldies, I mean, what a goal from um, from Downsguard for Denmark. I mean, people yeah. have sort of questioned Pickford's position, but it was just the pace of it. I know it went fairly straight, but it was just the pace and the whip on it. Well, I, th- I think what I'd say about that is people will question Pickford's, que- uh, Pickford's positioning because of ha- where because of how the free kick was struck and where it went, most players, uh, you know, most goalkeepers would stand where Pickford was stood there and expect it either to go to their side and to stay stood or for it to be bent over in a kind of Messi or James Ward-Prowse kind of way where it sort of whips over and down. Um, But he hit it differently. He hit it like a a sort of like a David Luiz for Brazil kind of Mm. free kick. That that's that's why his positioning will be questioned because it was slightly closer to him than a kind of than a than a bent or a curled free kick into the into the background into the near post like a Beckham kind of free kick. But but the contact was so good and so true and so perfect that you know I understand why his positioning's been brought into question. But I don't think you can blame the goalkeeper for that. You've just got to put your hands up and say what an utterly wonderful goal. Yeah, and that was it. I think that was a difference because, it, like I say, that that's when it was fairly even. And then he looked tired. He was chasing around. They were looking to press England, weren't they, Denmark? And Casper Hillman made four, I think it was three substitutions in one go. And it just kind of took the life out of them a little bit because the players they brought on, just no disrespect, they weren't as good, were they? No. Apart from maybe Poulton. Poulton's a good player, but he couldn't really get into the game, could he? Yeah, and I think Denmark had to make those subs because they were tiring even towards the 65 minute mark of the game. I think some of them were on the 60 minute mark, those substitutions, but actually it meant that they couldn't make more subs in extra time. And, and that was when they needed to, because England really did start to, to ramp up then. And, and I think it was only, you know, it's dangerous to say it was only a matter of time before they scored because without that penalty, you know, the game would have been very different without the Kane goal, but, would it, but would England have managed to find the way? I'm not so sure they would. I think it would have gone to a shootout. But, but England, you know, they, they deserved their luck because they dominated the, the game more than Denmark. I don't think they were on top for the whole game. You're never going to be in a semi-final of anything. But England were the better side. And, and I think they deserved to go through. But I also I want to mention the atmosphere because I think Wembley was absolutely rocking, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Just just to go back on it, I don't think England fluked it either. Like you say, it was a deserved win, even though the penalty was slightly contentious. It wasn't like they'd been outplayed and then they'd, they'd, they'd sort of burgled Denmark, if you like. But no, it was uh, a fa- it was fantastic. And yeah, the atmosphere was, was brilliant. And I think that's what that's been one of the criticisms of England games at Wembley in the past. I mean, I've been to them, you've been to them, we've been to the away games. The atmosphere the away games is so much better, but at Wembley it can be a bit um bit sort of boring everyone's kind of sat together I mean remember the paper planes that were being chucked around that time because mm. the atmosphere can be a bit sort of day trippy can't it you know people going there with the kids and going there as a family and enjoying it but I mean 
when the atmosphere is like that, you can't help but sort of, you know, the players thrived off it. You can just tell and it gave them that extra energy. And even when they went behind, the fans stayed with them, which maybe two or three games ago, they might not have. No, exactly. We're going to go on to our winners and losers now. So cue the bugle. Shall we start with the losers? I mean, there weren't many. I mean, everyone... I thought, although Declan Rice showed a lot of energy, I don't think he was in the game as much as he was, say, against Germany and Ukraine. Uh, especially first half, the game bypassed him a little bit. and He did improve as the game went on, but he did exert a lot of energy. Um, so uh, he could be classed as a loser. Jordan Pickford, in terms of his, his kicking, wasn't as good, was he? He was put under pressure. That was probably his, yeah. his, his most... Well, it was only an average game for him, which is saying how well he's done this year. And uh, that's probably about it, really, in terms of losers. They're the only ones I can think that really struggled. Well, I think on Pickford, um, it, there was going to come a time when a team just put on a little bit more pressure than previous sides have done. I think Denmark are the best team that England have faced yet. I know that that Denmark haven't got to a World Cup final in the last three years, and Croatia have. And I know that Denmark haven't won four World Cups, but Germany have. But that's not how you judge how good a team is to you know today. And I think Denmark are the best team England have faced yet, and they did put pressure on Pickford. They, in they, terms they, of form, though, because Germany and Croatia are still good teams, they're just maybe not in form and they're in that cycle, whereas Denmark are in a good moment at the minute, aren't they? They're in good form, they've got a really good talent of players coming through. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, they will grow, actually, as a team, because they've got quite a lot of, of, of youth in their side. Damsgaard looks a brilliant player. Mail mm. is still 24, I believe. Um, he is one of the best fullbacks in the tournament, isn't he? Now Spinat Soul is gone. Yeah, he's, he's he was uh, keeping it going with the uh, the right-footed left backs, which has uh, been quite an interesting interesting how um, how well they've done, and yet how much Southgate was berated for starting Trippier against Croatia in that first game. Clearly, he feared uh, you know that that right flank with Simo uh, Vrsaljko, who, who obviously is a teammate of Trippier's at, at Atletico, but. Yeah, since then, Luke Shaw's been fantastic for England. I think it's actually a shame that Ben Chilwell's not had a minute in this tournament because he's an excellent player and he'll be gutted. He'll be absolutely gutted. But sometimes you've just got to hand, you know, put your hands up and say, well, there's a player playing ahead of me at the moment who's absolutely mm. on fire. And Chilwell did win the Champions League and was one of the outs, probably my man of the match, actually, in that Champions League final. But yeah. That, and that's the atmosphere Southgate's created, though, isn't it? You know, in terms of the players, obviously they will be disappointed not to play, but it's um, they'll understand. He's got them where they'll they'll understand it's for the, the greater good for the team, won't it? And what 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 they're trying to do. Mm, absolutely, um, it's a weird one with Chilwell because obviously because he won the Champions League, he he wasn't played in either of the uh, the friendly games. So England are going to have finished this this tournament presumably. And he'll, uh, with, with nine, you know, nine matches in this international break and Chilwell will have featured in zero of them, which is a strange sort of thought, really. But um, yeah, I mean, Shaw's been fantastic. And I thought he was one of the many individual displays which were good for England because, you know, we were mentioning our losers. I can't think of more losers beyond Pickford, potentially, but only because he set his standards so brilliantly high. And um and Rice, I don't think I would count really. It's it was just it's just more because Rice has got he's kind of really dominated that midfield in the last two games, hasn't he? And maybe 
Calvin Phillips outshone him last night. Uh, the only thing the only thing I'd say about Calvin Phillips is in those 50-50s, he needs to be a bit stronger. He's lost a lot of 50-50s, Calvin Phillips. When he gets the ball, he's brilliant passing, he's brilliant at intercepting, but his mm. tackle needs to improve. But hey, if that's all we've got to grumble about, is uh, you know, if we're onto a good thing, aren't we? Yeah, the the winners clearly are Gareth Southgate, who's who's pretty much been vindicated most times he's made any call of any type in this tournament. Um, and he's, you know, managed to get England to a to a final, which is something he'll argue that I wouldn't. I don't think this is true because he he, he stepped up, but he'll argue he didn't manage it in 1996. But he's managed it 25 years later, and there's a there's a certain beauty to that. Um, Harry Kane was outstanding. And so I just just as well is that you can see the outpouring of emotion from him at the end of the crowd. It's like all that pressure that's built up over the tournament, all the criticism. He just let it out in that moment, didn't he? Exactly. Um, Kane was good with hold-up play and, and passing, and I thought his his cross to Sterling with that chance, which Sterling oh, could have put on. away, was yeah. a lovely assist. And and the well, he had one earlier on as well, but it was just in front of Sterling, wasn't it? As well. Yeah, yeah, and there was yeah, true. And there's there was also the one which caused England's equaliser, which actually the speed at which he took the ball in the midfield and slotted it through to Saka. I can't believe he managed to play such a beautiful ball when he'd had such little time having just swiveled that like it was it was a split second thing. He took the ball, he turned 180 degrees and he slotted it perfectly. And Saka looked like he'd missed the chance to square it. But luckily, he got the ball in cross just in time. And it was an own goal by Simon uh, Kier, who was one of the most undeserving scorers of an own goal in this tournament because of the brilliant work that he did to... Um, pretty much save you know he did save christian erickson's life in the in the opening mm. game it's amazing amazing scenes which um yeah i think was was surreal for 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 any any football fan or, or or human being in general to watch but um i thought sterling um played well and yeah yeah sure maguire i thought was solid and walker's pace at the back is is incredible as well to to recover but sterling was the man of the match in my opinion if not schmeichel then then sterling i know it went to kane but that's just yeah. what UEFA will do when someone scored a winning goal. But Sterling, to me, took them took more risks than anyone else on that pitch. And without mm. him, I'm not sure England would have won that game. He almost grabbed it, doesn't he? Why um, sometimes when they're struggling and they need an out ball, I, I like to call it a release valve. He's like a release valve, isn't he? You know, he'll, he'll get the ball up the pitch, he'll run at players, and, and players are scared of him now. I mean, sometimes he does he does frustrate because he does it. He takes on one player too many, doesn't he? But it's um, a lot of the time he'll win a free kick or a corner or something, you know, and he just gets England up the pitch and takes that pressure off, doesn't it? He does. Uh, and Ollie Holt from the uh, chief football writer of the Mail on Sunday spoke a lot about um, Raheem Sterling. So um, let's hear what he had to say on the England win and on Sterling's performance in particular. OK, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined now by Oliver Holt, chief football writer at the Mail on Sunday. Ollie, this is one of those sort of sliding doors moments in your life that you never know whether you'll ever see again, isn't it? It is actually, Dom. And I've been struck actually over the last, you know, 12 hours um, looking at social media in particular of the number of people, a lot of them of my vintage. I mean, I'm I'm 50, I am 55 now. So saying that they were never not sure they would ever see this in their lifetimes, you know, people like Jonathan Pierce and, um, and, and I definitely, you know, I've had that feeling 
myself. I mean, I've, I've been to a lot of tournaments now, luckily enough with England, but all of them one way or another have ended in, in disappointment and failure of, of a greater or lesser degree. And uh, we've used this phrase a lot, I think recently, but I think England supporters, a lot of England supporters, including me, we've measured out our lives in these, in these disappointments. And so to have something like, uh, like the match against Denmark, to win a semi-final, to do it from coming from behind, to be in this tournament where we've beaten Germany in a knockout game, um, you're right. It feel it feels it all feels fairly momentous. I think, obviously, the one caveat which I'm sure other nations may well be laughing at us about is that we're doing all this emoting, and you know we haven't actually won it yet. But um, you know we we have gone further than we've ever been for 55 years, so we can we're allowed to be happy. I think. Yeah, of course we are. They they can let us have our moment. We don't have many of them. <laughs> Um, I just want to read one of your tweets that you put out last night, um, which I think, you know, sums up the, the mood pretty well. You said England in a final can't get my head around it when you've been to San Etienne and Shizuoka and Lisbon and Gelsenkirchen and Kiev and Nice. As so many England fans have been, disappointment is the norm. This feels like a big, big shift for our football psyche. And as you say, you, you measure, you've measured out your life in, in, in these failures, but is there a chance that actually if England do go and win it now and make no mistake, I think even at Wembley, they're probably the outsiders, aren't they? Because Italy have looked superb in this tournament. Even if England do go and win it, do you think now that might now feel a bit like an anti-climax? I feel like this, there's a certain romance to the, to the years of her and how the clock keeps on ticking up and up and up. And if, if England do go and win something... <laughs> there's there's almost um history in, in how in how badly England do in tournaments. It, it's sort of something to to write home about, isn't it, when England crash out disappointingly? Yes. I think that's a very interesting point. And I mean I think it, it's it's in a way it's one of the one of the ways I think we define ourselves uh as a nation. I mean obviously football is our national sport. I know not everybody's interested in it, but I think one of the ways we define ourselves as a nation is is in a self-deprecating kind of attitude to our to our football team. Mm. Um, I think actually that's one of the things that's been misunderstood about the footballs coming home. You know, I mean, people, you know, Luka Modric has said a couple of times, I think, that have talked about the arrogance of, of the English singing that song and everything. But if you analyse that song, and it doesn't take too much analysing, but you know, it is about sort of mourning and longing and 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 uh, and and that, that that longing for a sort of sepia time when when we were the, the sort of kings of the world and and the idea that probably that's you know that's not coming back. Um, so yeah, I think we do define ourselves a little bit by those by those failures, and it will be an interesting shift um, if and when it changes. I mean, I think. You know, there have been other things, though, where we've done that also, and those have changed. So, I mean, for instance, you know, for a long time, our male, our male tennis players were a joke, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know, I'm not making a comment on him personally, but, you know, somebody like Jeremy Bates and Buster Mottram, they were this kind of, 
you know, this long line of sort of failures who it was a massive cause for celebration if they made it past the first round at Wimbledon or something. Then Andy Murray came along. And again, in terms of things we never thought we'd see in our lifetime, I, again, through the luck of my job, I, you know, I was on centre court when, when a British man won the men's singles title at Wimbledon. You know, and I, I genuinely never thought I would see that in my lifetime when I was a kid. I loved tennis when I was a kid. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. And I don't, I think that's been a, that has changed the way we look at ourselves a bit, I think. But I, I think that was a good thing. And I, I, I do think that, I do think that if our players, if our footballers, our male footballers, and look, I am conscious when we're talking about this, that, you know, our, um, our women's team in the national team, you know, has been a lot further um, than the men. So we, sh we shouldn't forget that. But when, when, we, when we look at our, our men's team, um, I, think it, I think it's been acceptable to sort of sneer at, at football players and, and dismiss them as uh, in the past, maybe as, you know, kings of bling or nouveau or people who care more about money than the, the sport and everything. And I think that would be, I'm already seeing that. I think I think that's one of Gareth Southgate's big achievements. That that image of footballers is starting to is starting to change, and we're I think we're learning to love them more and you know take them to our hearts more rather than see them as other somehow. You know I think there's more of a more of a uh, you know more of a love a love for them now. Absolutely. I, I spent most of yesterday ahead of the game, um, you know, throughout the day, I spent most of it uh, finishing a piece I was writing on Gareth Southgate and everything he's done, done right in the England job. And I think he's made the job bigger. And I think he's taken on more aspects to that role than maybe previous incumbents thought that it was uh, thought counted as part of their job. I think he thinks that the job is is larger than other people have perhaps made it. And certainly with his social conscience and, and as a spokesperson for, for the game and for wider society, he's, he's done excellent work. But, you know, so many of the changes he's made seem so obvious in hindsight, you know, opening up to the media more. Why, why should the press, why should the, the players fear the press if they're able to just play a game of darts with them? It, it seems so simple when you think about it, but clearly it wasn't because in the past we didn't see that. But another thing which, which um, is often talked about about this England team you know, I spoke to Henry Winter on this podcast after the Scotland game, and he he talk, talked of the uh, the no dickheads policy that England have got, and and which is of course uh, copied kind of from the All Blacks. And you, we know that Gareth Southgate struggles not to take inspiration on how he can improve his team by watching any TV show or film or or reading a book. He says he's a nightmare when he sits down and watches something with his wife. Um, but, but this really is a likeable England team, isn't it? It's a, it's a group of footballers who actually as people, are, you know, as you say, that they're not, they don't look money driven or, or blingy, which is a, a crass word at the best of times. But, mm. you, you know, they're, they're actually likeable men and they're much younger than, than previous England teams, aren't they as well? They are. And my, my only, and I, like you, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot too, but I, 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 
And I think, again, having been around longer than I care to remember, really, you know, I, I, I'm slightly wary of this idea that these guys are nicer, better people than previous England sides. And pre because I've been around a lot of those teams and there was there there've been some really good guys in those teams you know that they're, they're they're good people too they were you know they were interesting to be around I like being around them they were a lot of them were very good with us as 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 media but I think part of the difference here and you're absolutely right about that is that Gareth Southgate actually has seen a bigger picture here and he has he has allowed he has allowed us to be to, to see them more and and you know he has used the media in the best possible way i think he's used the media as a conduit to allow the public to see these players more as well and not to see them as separate and not to see them as people who want to be separate he's allowed the public to relate to them more and to get them more on side i think and and you know, you're right again about his thirst for knowledge of how these things work. And I mean, I remember a few years ago uh, being at a Super Bowl and seeing seeing him there on Media Day, which is um, when uh, in the week before the Super Bowl, when every single player from uh, each team is is put up in the in the stadium for the to speak to the press, every single player on, and, and that's a lot of players in an American football team. And, um, you know, the FA, the FA did that to everybody's shock and horror in some cases, um, but to the general delight of the, of the UK written press, certainly, you know, they, they, they copied that or um, before the 2018 World Cup. And again, I think that was that was a sea change that moment because that implied a level of trust and um, uh, a level of openness that we we hadn't had for an awfully long time, to be honest. And I think people can scoff, and obviously to the to journalists that kind of thing is important, and maybe it maybe it assumes greater importance than it should for a journalist because that's our that's our way of life, but. I still think that if if I've I've spoken to enough England players down the years, people like Kieran Dyer, who talked about the fear that they played with when they played for England because they were worried about the headlines the next day. They were worried about making a mistake. They were worried about the criticism they were going to get. They were worried about the uh, what their families might be subjected to. Now, if you can, if as a manager, you can um, erase that fear only by 1% or 5%, whatever, it's worth doing it because it adds, it all adds up. If you can just, you know, if you can make those, I, I hesitate to use the phrase cause I'm, I think it's um, a, it's been misused in cycling, but if you can use, if you can accrue a series of marginal gains of which that is one, they build up to, they build up to a hole, and I, th I think that's exactly what Southgate has done. Listen, let's get into the uh, actual game itself, because we've, we've got to do a little bit of match of the day analysis, uh, even yeah. for a few minutes. Um, the free kick from uh, Mikel Damsgaard, which, which opened the deadlock. Um, of course, Southgate said after the game, we knew we couldn't get through a whole tournament without conceding. You know, recency bias was starting to suggest to me that maybe England could, but... Um, 
I was shown up because it was an absolutely wondrous strike, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yes, it was. It, I mean, it was, um, you know, I saw some, some criticism of Pickford for not getting to it, but I, d I didn't really buy that. I mean, I just thought, I thought the technique of that free kick, there was a bit of Ronaldo in that. There was a little bit of Beckham in it. That flat, you know, I, I saw some replays of flat trajectory of it over the wall. I mean, it was just, it was a brilliant, it was an absolutely brilliant free kick. And it was an interesting moment that because the, the build-up to the game last night at the stadium was really lovely. And I mean, I sorry that sounds a little bit trite to call it lovely, but you know, the camera at Wembley kept panning over the faces of kids in the crowd and the excitement and families together. It just it just felt it felt like an amazing occasion. And it has felt like that for most of the tournament. And when that goal went in, that free kick. The place just went silent and obviously not from the Danish end, but it was it was like the air was being sucked out of everything. And pe suddenly people thought, oh, my God, is this it? Is it over? And, you know, I, that, that's the, the Danes. The Danes, I thought, I thought the day, you know, I don't want to patronise them. I'm not patronising. I thought they were absolutely terrific. Um, last night and I think emotionally maybe emotionally and physically they ran out of steam towards the end of the second half because mm -hmm. they've they've invested so much into this tournament but that free kick was a that free kick was a was a wonderful uh was a wonderful announcement of their of their intent last night yeah it was I want to talk about um, a couple of England individuals who who stood out and first of all Raheem Sterling who I think the relationship between Sterling and, and England supporters or, or England, the nation, I think in general, seems to be one of the most complex relationships in football. There isn't a chant that the England fans have for Raheem Sterling. And yet without his goals and his guile, I don't think they'd be at this point in the tournament had, had he not been, had he not been so heavily involved. I think he's, I think he's played pretty much every minute in this, in this tournament, barring a couple of substitutions late, late on in the, uh, in the group stage. But he was utterly fantastic again. And I find it strange that there are still some people who, who it, it doesn't even seem to be the case that they don't rate Raheem Sterling. It's just that they don't particularly like the man. But I mean, quite aside from the man, and I think he's a very impressive man, he's definitely an impressive footballer, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, and you, you're right about the complexity of the relationship as well. I mean, I, I remember in 2018, yeah, and look, we have, I have to be honest about this. I suppose you know that has to include the complexity of the relationship with the with the press as well. I suppose and it's been well well publicised his his uh, misgivings, if I can use euphemisms about about some of the treatment he's had at the at the hands of the of the English media. Um, but I remember in you know I think. It's not just the media. It's a it, it's a complex relationship with the fans too, as you say. I remember at the at the um, at the World Cup in twenty eighteen when I thought he had a good tournament, but he was he was consistently voted worst player by on the BBC. Uh, the you know those BBC ratings that they do twenty sixteen Euros, which was not you know our best tournament, but he was booed by England fans. So it is a complex history. Um, 
and I agree with you that I think he's a. Look, I don't know him very well. I've done a couple of uh, a couple of pieces with him down the years, including one at his famously at his mum's house that was uh, that he bought for her. And I've I've always been very impressed by him. I think as a player, what impresses me is his bravery, really. And you can see that last night. You can see it every every time England play. He always wants the ball. He never shies away from it, even if something's gone wrong. You know, he never wants, he always wants the ball. He's, he's, he's such a brave player like that. He always wants to make something happen. He's the guy, I think in the first minute of the game last night, he burst through midfield, he was brought down. I think like England's, you know, say in the first minute. Mm. You know, he just, he is such a positive influence on the side. He makes things happen. He opens spaces for others time and time again, he does that. And what, just one other thing, Dom, I'd say about, you know, in, in the, in the, just in the era before COVID, what do you remember England played a, I'm going to remember that, forget the name of the place now, but England played a behind closed doors game against Croatia. I think yeah. it was in Rijeka yeah. um, because of uh, Croatian crowd trouble. It was a, it was a punishment for Croatia. And so we sat, say before before the era of empty stadiums here because of COVID. But I remember sitting really pretty much pitch side for that game and Sterling was playing um, in it. And I was just, I'd, I'd never really noticed how strong, you know, and maybe it's something to do with his low centre of gravity in the same way that Maradona had that. But his strength on the ball is unbelievable. He, you know, you tend to think, oh, he's a small guy, but he could be pushed off the ball. His strength on the ball and is terrific, and he saw that again and again and again last night as well. I, uh, Harry Kane was the man of the match, and I'm not going to quibble with that. But I thought I thought Sterling was our was our best player. Yeah, I, I would have given it to Sterling too. But but I, I thought Kane, even aside from the, the the penalty, which was his most tired and worst penalty that I've ever seen, barring I think he hit the post for England in a friendly against Turkey before. Euro 2016 that's my geekiness coming through there but um, <laughs> what one of his worst penalties certainly it, it did look a tired strike but luckily the rebound came out and when it's your night it's your night which is what Harry said afterwards but um also Maguire and Shaw I thought had very good games but but it never ceases to amaze me that you can watch a game with uh, next to someone who you thought you you pretty much agree with on most things in football and, and you'll still come out having decided a, a, a you know disagreed on, on a few things so, so who, who were your top performers for England you, you mentioned Sterling and Kane who else stood out for you because for me it was Maguire and, and Luke Shaw yeah and look I you're okay I'm not going to be one of those people that you think oh my god what game was he watching so I, I would generally I would I, I wouldn't disagree with you um I wouldn't disagree with you about any of that the I, I the only thing I would disagree with and we're talking um, sort of minutiae here, really. I um, instead of Luke Shaw, if if we were picking out, if we had to lose one of the people you've mentioned, I'd agree with all of them. But if if you had to lose one, I'd lose Luke Shaw and put Kyle Walker um, in right. his place. I just think I I just thought there are there are a few occasions last night where England were in trouble at the back, and he he just mopped it up with his pace. I mean, his pace is such a, an insurance policy for that England defence. And he, you know, I thought he, 
he was crucial a few times um, last night. And I, I just think that he has had, you know, there were a couple of times where the uh, Danes ran at him and they almost gave up because they realised it was Kyle Walker. You know, you can't, you can't out-sprint this guy. He's had he had one spell in the tournament, and look, your knowledge is better than mine. Where I remember thinking, ah, oh, he's getting exposed here. I think it was the Germany game. There was about there was about fifteen minutes in the Germany game. I think where it was it Goosen's yeah started to get in and around him. He started to look a bit tired. Apart from that, I think he's been absolutely outstanding in this tournament. And maybe it's our bias towards attacking players over defenders. I think it's been slightly overlooked. And I, I think Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw has been magnificent. Maguire, I think Maguire's been a great story for England in this tournament because a lot of people, I think Roy Keane was very scathing about the idea that he should even be in the squad. He's had a lot of stick at United. I think he he's... He's suffered because United have, have suffered. He's suffered from United's, not mediocrity, but their failure to, yeah. you know, to compete at the very highest level. And Actually, his price I'm, tag I as think... well. His price tag as well. I mean, I, I often yeah. hear people mentioning that, that, you know, the most regular comment on social media about Harry Maguire is, oh, no way he's an £85 million player. Well, you can't blame the player. It's Manchester United oh. having no bargaining power because everyone knows they're phenomenally rich. That, that's where it comes from. It is, absolutely. And I think this tournament actually has been a reminder of just what a good player he is and what a commanding player he is. I mean, he's been, yeah. he was, he didn't, he won every header last night. Um, he's a, he is a, you know, he's a offensive weapon as well at, at set pieces, as we've already seen in the tournament. And he was again last night, you know, Schmeichel pulled off one brilliant save to, keep one of his headers out and so no I I think he's been he has definitely been one of the it'd be wrong to say one of the breakouts stars of the tournament because he's one of our established players but he has certainly his performances have reminded us of, of why Manchester United paid a lot of money for him. It's been very curious that the 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 part the areas of the pitch where maybe England aren't stacked for quality is, is where England have performed best I think you, you cannot underestimate, uh, as England prepare for a first final in 55 years, the, the hard work of, of the shuttling midfielders, Phillips and Rice, who I think have been completely energetic in every game. Uh, and England centre-backs as well have been superb. St Stones has been one of the play players of the tournament for England. I, I think he had, a, he had a quiet game yesterday, but that's largely to do with, as you mentioned, the aerial dominance of uh, Harry Maguire. Yeah, whose position was questioned and and by pundits as, as well as fans. Um, the Grealish substitution that showed to me, frankly, that Southgate doesn't give a toss. To be honest, he, he'll do what he has to do for, to to come through the game and to win with England. I, I don't think he he sees individuals and and his his reputation and and what will be written in the media as being relevant at all. And and I, he he spoke glowingly of Grealish in the post match press conference. So I didn't think quite had the impact that he was saying he'd had but but maybe that was his his way of appeasing him because of course he'd hauled him off having having brought him on but you know it's a tactical change and I personally didn't read too much into it I don't know about you no me neither and I, I think actually um it's a good point you make about what that says about Southgate I think actually Martin Samuel you're in good company because I think Martin Samuel made a similar observation in in his 
match report in the Daily Mail this morning. And Southgate has done that in this tournament. You know, he's picked sides, um, I think, where he was really heavily criticised before the game when his when the team sheet uh, came out. And, and I remember even, you know, I think Gary Lineker's, Gary Lineker wrote something on Twitter saying, when the team sheet was released, saying, defend, defend, defend. You mm. know, so... Um, and people were tearing their hair out because they thought that the the team wasn't attacking enough. Um, and he has, you know, he has ignored all those all those voices. He's ignored, you know. I think when we beat uh, when we beat the the Czechs, there was um, he said, you know, look, you pick that side, and if you don't win, you know you're going to get killed. I think yeah. he used the word killed, you know, and he knew that he knew that people were waiting for him. Um, because that that was it's easy to forget now in those early days of this tournament there were a lot of people lying in wait for Gareth Southgate there are a lot of people thinking he was going to fail and there are a lot of people who are waiting to stick the boot in and um, you know he he would be keenly aware of that and he that has not he, he hasn't done the crowd pleasing thing you know the crowd pleasing thing would have been to have picked Jack Grealish uh, in the starting lineup, which everybody, myself included, by the way, um, thought he should do. I, I was hoping that Grealish would be in the starting lineup at the, at the start of the tournament. But I think it'd be fair to say that every single decision, Gareth, Sa I don't want to seem too starry eyed about this, every single decision he's made has been vindicated yeah. in this tournament. He's, he, he, his decision making has been flawless. And look, there is a slight sort of stigma, I think. I, I feel a bit for Grealish um, about, you know, there's a stigma about uh, a substitute who comes on and is then substituted. I mean, I might out-geek you with this, but I think it happened to Howard Gale um, when he was a, uh, as a Liverpool as a Liverpool player. I think he, and I think it also happened to, it happened to Emmanuel Leboué at Arsenal, I think, when he was getting some... Yeah. He was getting stuff from the crowd. I think this this is totally different because I thought Southgate used Grealish exceptionally well. He, he brought him on about, I don't know, what was it, 65 minutes, something like that, 65, 70, when Denmark retired. He used Grealish to... I agree with you. I don't think Grealish had a massive impact. I think he's a terrific player, and I, I, I do think that he draws players to him. Yeah, I think he increased that. He, he tired the Danes even more. And when he'd done that, when he'd done his job, and when the game was, it was clear that the Danes were struggling to make uh, make inroads into our defence. Southgate did the thing that did the obvious thing. We had the game won. Mm -hmm. He just locked it down. And I, I, it's not personal against Grealish. I think Grealish had done his job. And I think um, Grealish, Grealish, has a has a part to play in this tournament and I think he's played it it's probably not the part he would wanted to have played he would have wanted to start but I think he he has he has still made a really big impact in the way that in the way that Southgate has used him he's been crucial and say so it's not the impact he would have wanted uh, but it's still been a crucial it's still been a crucial impact and again I think Southgate has got that even though I wanted him in the team to start with mm. I accept that I think Southgate has played it just right I'll ask you one last question then and I, I 
realise that if I if I ask a seasoned uh, journalist like yourself, can England win it, that you'll probably fudge your way to an answer of yes, they can, but they might not. So I'll ask you, will they win it? Look, I, I, I don't know how to... I, I don't want to fudge it. And obviously, none of us know. I mean, I think, I think it will be the... Put it this way, I think it will be the most difficult game yeah. of, of the tournament. They'll be Italy are the best team we will have faced in this tournament so far. Okay, beating Germany was a massive psychological victory for us. Maybe it was a bigger psychological victory for people of my age than it was for the for our players. Hmm. Um, but I think Italy, Italy are a better team than Germany. They're, they're a better team than Denmark, better team than the Czechs. Um, Better than anything we faced. They're on a they're on a fantastic winning run, um, and um, you know they've obviously got great spirit and togetherness. I think they'll miss Spinazzola because who wouldn't? Um, but I, you know, I so I you know I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I I think that we are also a very good team, and I, I think it's a I think it's a a fifty fifty. I do think it's a 50-50 game. Um, I think we, as you say, is obvious. We can win it. I'm not sure if we will, but I think yeah. we have a better chance than we've ever had before. I'd agree with that. I'm not so sure, but um, we've seen Southgate pull a rabbit out of the bag and 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 or a hat rather, and we've seen the these England players rise at moments where previous England players have have you know sunk into the ground so um we can only hope we can only hope ollie holt from the uh, mail on sunday thank you very much for speaking to me today it's a pleasure don real pleasure so that was a really interesting insight from ollie holt and england have progressed which means they now play italy who beat spain on penalties and that was a fantastic game to watch as well and you wonder how much that's taken out of italy one interesting thing about Italy is they started off the tournament really, really strong. And as the games have gone on, again, as they've hit the hour mark, they've started to get more tired and, and sort of flag a little bit. And they've got an ageing back line, but that doesn't normally matter with Oti because Chiellini and Benucci know how to defend. And you'd be worried that if um, if Italy scored the first goals, the old um, dark half might come out a little bit. Yeah, and so they should, from Italy's perspective, if you get ahead in the final and you haven't won a major tournament since 2006. So you should whip, uh, whip out the uh, dark arts, but I think we'd be doing the same. But um, yeah, it is important that England score the first goal in that final. And, I, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure they will. I, I think it might be a step too far for them, but we'll just see, won't we? Italy think have looked, as you mentioned, Italy have looked more tired um, as they've gone through this tournament, and England have looked fresher as they've gone through, and and less pragmatic and more more able to play. Um, you know, Southgate was being England were winning in the group stage and winning slight. You know, winning games one nil. I know the Scotland game was a special case, but you know he he's being hailed a pragmatic genius, um, and he, he there were slight dark arts that England were, were doing and they were being more savvy and, and practical than past England teams. But equally, you know, they actually weren't turning on in the st uh, turning on the style up front as much as they wanted to be. They weren't doing, it's not like England were doing as much as they were wanting. And then once they'd got the first goal, they just stopped attacking. I think they were actually struggling to, to knit games together. 
and and I think Southgate admitted that we're not seeing enough from our front players as, as we'd like. I think later on in this tournament, we've seen players like Sterling come into their own. Saka's been outstanding. So if England can com- can continue that upward trajectory at the right time, they'll win a major tournament, I believe. Yeah, and I think whatever happens, they've surpassed all expectations, haven't they? And even if they don't win on Sunday, let's hope they do, but if they don't, it'll certainly make them stronger for Qatar, which is only eight, well, 16 months away now, isn't it? So it's not that far away. You can take that experience. They know they can beat the good teams now as well. And, and whatever happens, they'll go into that tournament as one of the favourites. Yeah, I feel like we can talk about Qatar knowing that England have won three out of three of their qualifiers so far and, and every other team in their group has lost at least once. So England are well on the way to, to, to qualifying for that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm concerned that England, <laughs> England fans and the journalists always mention the next one or, you know, sort of let, let's get ready for the next one. Our players will be more will be more grown up by the next one. But this is a huge chance. You know, Qatar being only 16 months away rather than, what would it be, 24, is um, is an exciting thought. But but actually, England have got a huge chance in just four day, three days' time. And if they can get that game right, they'll go down in history. I mean, they're already going to go down in history, but they'll go down in history in, a, in a, an eternal kind of unforgettable way. I mean, to win a major tournament under Gareth Southgate would be, you know, it would almost feel a bit normal because Southgate has, has changed the way that England uh, play and are perceived. And actually, there's been great success under him. The, the, the worst tournament appearance so far is a semi-final. I mean, that's that's not bad going, is it? No, and he's the only manager, apart from Alf Ramsey, to, to reach... A final as well. I know he said about the semi-final, but he's the only manager apart from And we all know what happened to him and what happened to them. And uh, I wonder if it was Sir Gareth Southgate after this tournament. Mm, that's the thing. Does does England, do England need to win that game to secure the manager a knighthood? Or has he got one in the bag already? I think they need to win, to be honest. But I think a lot of it is that as well is not, they won't be remembered just for the, the they're, um, they're antics on the antics, but what they've done, I'll do that again. They won't just be remembered for what they've done on the pitch, it's what they've done on the pitch as well, you know, trying to fight equality, taking a knee and things like that. Um, I think that's how this squad will be remembered, and everyone can kind of relate with them in a, in a social aspect as well, can't they? It doesn't feel like there's a, a massive divide, is there anymore? No, they are they are now spokespeople and leading lights in on social issues um which past england teams and managers haven't seen it as the, as being their job to do and which maybe they wouldn't have had the maturity to do this england team is younger than most but it's more mature than most and there's you know there there has been the removal of the circus england is now a an organized outfit on and off the pitch who who has key principles and picks up results and make no mistake about it the great work that Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland have done will be quickly forgotten about if England lose their two matches in September you know that the final and even if they win the final if they lose their two matches in September suddenly there'll be questions about you know that that's the nature of the job but ultimately 
England England can't think about that now. They've got to think about one game. One game is what matters. The final game before they can all go on a well, well-earned summer holiday. Probably the most well-earned summer holiday any of them have ever had in their lives. And mm. that's England versus Italy. Possibly the, the biggest match, probably the biggest match any of them have ever played. Yeah, so... Predictions then, what are we saying? I mean, I, I said Italy being the final from the very start. I thought they'd be playing France. So, as the tournament's gone on, I've said, well, Italy will win it. <laughs> and it's one of those, I couldn't... I don't know. It might. It just might feel like one match too far for England. I hope not, but... Yeah. My, my head says Italy, my heart says England. Yeah, my head says 1-0 Italy. Um and my heart yeah. says my heart says England will get back into it and get into the lead and 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 go and get an assurance goal and, and and get a fourth just to be sure and maybe a fifth just to make the fans happy. So yeah, I'm gonna say my head says one nil Italy and my heart says five one England. And if England win, it'll be on pens. Oh which would just be that... a perfect ending. Oh, me. Wouldn't that I I think I'd there'd be more tears. I'll tell you that now, there will be more tears in this household. If there were, if there was a, a tournament won on penalties, what a what a way to stick two fingers up to to his own history that would be from Gareth Southgate. But it's not just about the manager. These, these England players have been outstanding in this tournament, absolutely outstanding. Let's hope they can do it. England can look ahead to the final, but until then, it's goodbye from me, Dom Smith, and it's goodbye from me, Luke Edwards. Mm-hmm.